0: Welcome to The Look Back, my pandemic podcast. The one I started a few months back, sort of in the mid-period of the pandemic, just to help myself from going insane, but these are crazy times still in 2021. Anyways, I find some time to grab some interesting, intelligent, insightful people that I worked with back in the day just to catch up with them, see what they're doing, where they're at in their day. Um, how they're doing, kind of a check-in, but also the thought of having them share some of their thoughts and experiences and a look back at their career and what they see today. You are officially on The Look Back, my uh, post-pandemic podcast. Welcome, Steve Baker.
1: Thanks, Keith. I appreciate a chance to, uh, to hop on The Look Back with you. Looking back as we get a little older is always a lot of fun, isn't it?
0: I think I'm the only one getting older. You're the one that's holding down the fort. What has it been, like 25 years at NPD PC Data?
1: Yeah, almost 25 years uh, before that. I spent a couple of years at uh, IDC. And before that, I was an original employee at Staples. So I worked for Staples on May 1st, <laughs> 1986, when the very first store in Brighton, Mass opened.
0: Gosh, that was a phenomenal time. We're gonna go back there in a second. So, Steve, what do they give you for twenty-five years at a place like NPD? Uh, is that the watch, or is that um, a, a new uh, a new desk lamp? What do they give you?
1: Yeah, they keep me employed, <laughs> and they they pay my salary every uh, two weeks. Right. And you know, in this environment, we're all happy uh, to have that as our um, as our our gift. From our
0: employers. Yeah. We we need to be thankful. And I, of course, kid, you you have really been holding down the fort there for a while and really in a in a catbird seat kind of a role being asked to like chart the trends and the changes, the comings and goings of all the folks and the I guess the broadest way of looking at the tech industry, the, the you know, it's consumer, but you do the the B2B side too. That's been quite a fun,
1: fun role, fun position looking back. It is, it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the historian here. I, I keep a lot of old data and it's always fun. Every once in a while, somebody will ask, so what did the television market look like in, you know, 2006 or 2004 and, you know, how, how did PCs first really start to, you know, jump into to the retail market? And, um, you know, I'm the, usually the guy with the answers at this point, so um, can you it's t- good to have a little bit of that experience.
0: Can you tell me how many eighty-eighty-six
1: processors were sold in uh, <laughs> nineteen? <laughs> I, I believe I used a computer at Staples that had an eighty-eighty-six processor in you know nineteen eighty-seven.
0: When you look back from your position, though, and you think about what's happened in the uh, evolution on the retail side, right? Well, we've gone from, wow, these places like Staples are actually selling computers, and now they're going and they're evolving, just like a Best Buy has, just like um, a lot of these folks have, but so many have gone out of business. Where does retail stand? I mean, that's so much of where you and I connected. Obviously, I was Computer Retail Week, and you were- PC data slash NPD and um, watching the trends of of products being sold out of retail channels, and now that channel is completely different.
1: It it is completely different in a lot of ways. Uh, I would also argue it's 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 more that it's consolidated and it's different. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a there's a real value proposition to selling uh, computers when you can do it correctly. Um, You know, for a retailer, it generates a lot of dollars, it generates a lot of add-on kind of um, accessories that maybe have a little bit uh, better margin, it's a very high profile uh, product, and the brands that you work with, because of what the PC is, which is something you buy every three or four or five years typically, It generates also a lot of advertising, right? Because every brand has to be out and every retailer has to be out in front of the customer because I don't know when you're ready to come and buy because, you know, and as a lot of people know, MPD tracks a lot of other uh, discretionary categories like clothing and apparel and footwear. And, you know, it's easy. I have a whole bunch of shirts. I want another shirt. I'll buy another shirt <laughs> I'm on a computer and there's a lot of other categories obviously things like televisions as well. Um, the the real core is have to be in front of the customer somehow with the advertising or with traffic building things that um, I, I, that I need to, to, to be there when the customer is ready to buy and I think that's why we've seen, this bifurcation of at least you know physical retail where um stores like best buy or micro center you know continue to do okay because people know that that's a place to go to get that and they can leverage the traffic uh that that's these specific products can generate on the other hand you've got a walmart or a costco um you know computers electronics are not the core of their business are obviously important, but they have other ways to generate that traffic. And then they can take advantage of you're going to Walmart to buy bananas or going to Costco to buy coffee. um, And you can leverage that traffic to be able to sell these kind of adjacent categories. And I think when you look back, that's, that's the real kind of, um, reasons that consolidation has happened. It's just, there's just not enough uh, business all the time for the retailers who are only focused on the electronics piece, that piece continues to consolidate. Whereas the retailers who have a broad um, selection keep looking for ways uh, to add on to the customer's basket when they're in the store.
0: So when you look back then at the 25 years in that chair, Steve, who are the survivors um, and what were their greatest traits? Was it a combination of just really understanding um, the supply chains, the economies of scale, the economics of, of, of being super efficient to get the lowest prices and on top of supply chain? Or was it great management, value
1: proposition, marketing stuff? Uh, you know, obviously, it's kind of a combination, right. But I think if you really look at some of the electronics companies that are, are, are survivors, it's a, um, it's the ability to consolidate a lot of products together to mm-hmm. be able to manage that kind of traffic. So I sell not just Apple, I sell Windows, now I sell Chrome, I sell headphones, I sell big televisions, I sell small televisions. I have a lot of different ways to bring people into my store and people recognize that I have an expertise on those kind of products. And as I gain share, because that's naturally what's gonna happen, that also goes back to the manufacturers who have to be uh, focused, right? On the guy who does the most business. So and so certainly I, guys I, like Best Buy, you know, generate uh, a lot of business now.
0: I know, it's so funny that you say that too, because I look at Best Buy, I go, shit, I haven't been in a Best Buy in quite a while. Like walked into a Best Buy, but the business seems like it's really humming. And then across the aisle, I look at, well, I don't go to CompUSA anymore. I don't go to Fry's anymore. I don't go to Circuit City anymore. Is Office Max still around? I don't think so. Um, you know, and, and and Egghead, somebody mentioned Egghead to me the other day and asked me if Egghead was still around. They've been gone for 10 years at least, right? Yeah, at least. What, why did those guys go out? Is there a collective reason or were they all kind of case by case?
1: At, at, at some level, there's a case by case, but I think the collective reason is that um, there's a um, building upon the success, right? Once Best Buy got to a certain point, then um, other brands wanted to be in Best Buy to because Best Buy was the one who was best at consolidating um, the traffic. Therefore, as a brand, I needed to be there to take advantage of that. And even today. Um, you know, you have a lot of guys who, while it's great to be on Amazon or something else, there's a benefit to both being in the physical Best Buy store because they, they curate their selection so that I know when I go to Best Buy, I don't have to go through 4,000 SKUs to find the one I want or find something interesting
0: you know what? Uh, I, I, I've lost my, my love affair with Best Buy, clearly. Like I said, I haven't been there, but they are definitely doing something right. So I do tip my cap to them. And I, I you know.
1: <laughs> you know, let's, uh, the other thing we, we have to give them and the other guys like a micro center or some of the regional guys who really have. Yeah. Yeah. Have found ways to uh, focus is also, um, a lot of them got really good, really quick at online yeah right um, they were able to take the best of what they did online and drive volumes both online and in the store and take advantage of um, you know their reputation and their ability to pick and choose the best products take advantage of their traffic and um, you know also Uh, You know, I think the underpinning the other underpinning of all of this, uh, because we're saying so many nice things about the retailers, but we push that push that underneath them and say, the other thing that's happened in the last 25 years is electronics are way more important to consumers, to the things they own to how they live, than they ever were before. And because of that. You, you do better because people are always looking yeah. for these kind of products.
0: You know, it's funny. I always thought the computer was going to be the center of that, but it's really shifted, isn't it, to the, to the phone and to mobile.
1: I think you have multiple centers. Yeah. Right? Um, I think that we kind of maybe forgot a little bit about the computer and the pandemic reminded us how useful uh, computers can be. Uh, certainly, you know, no one's going to dismiss stuff the value proposition around the phone. But I also don't want to forget the television because <laughs> I know, right. The television is the biggest, best screen in your house that you're on trade into things like gaming, oftentimes into streaming, into content, into entertainment. Um, so that also, I think the nice part of electronics as we go forward is we really do have these three, big pillars to build uh, customer interest in. And all of those, every single one of those are extremely important to how people live today. Yeah. And they're not gonna dismiss one. Yeah. And, um, well, you know, and it's kudos, not okay kudos, to have a 20 year old television.
0: You know, and kudos to the makers in these categories too. the innovation that keeps, like you feel like, okay, How much are you going to improve a desktop computer today or a TV? And by gosh, they really continue to get better and better so that every few years you need to upgrade.
1: Well, that's the Need need might
0: be a relative term, but yeah.
1: Innovation, right? Interesting, better products, whether it's, you know, uh, MacBook M1 processors or OLED screens.
0: Okay, let me interrupt you. So... When was the last time you like did uh, your briefing with a, with a manufacturer, right? I, I, uh, I just went over. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just got excited by something they were showing, although I know you're an excitable boy still.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> Everybody knows I'm an excitable guy.
0: You know, um, like the last time the Red Sox won the World Series, kind of excited.
1: That was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> that made me really happy, I got to tell you.
0: We do have to go back a ways, but, you know, I don't mean to rub it in or anything.
1: It's only 2018, so it's not that far long ago.
0: Time flies. Okay, moving uh, I, forward.
1: I think it's probably been after the Giants has won, right?
0: I think you might be right on that. So let's just keep moving along then. Yes. <laughs> what was the last, oh, wow, kind of a meeting you had where you were or shared some technology before it was uh, uh, launched? OLED, OLED
1: mm. television. OLED screens, the clarity and the quality on that kind of product. Yeah. Um, but I think, and even to take it even bigger and just say, the, the value, when you go to CS and look at the television, the value of how much you can get on a, an awesome 75-inch or 83-inch television, Yeah. Um, and what kind of price points are there, obviously. Oh, uh, I am always amazed at how well that business has been able to innovate and manufacture to create that kind of um, ongoing value proposition yeah. for the consumer. I'll tell you a story, Keith. Yeah. So I, I, Before the pandemic, used to go to Asia, Korea, Japan, and uh, we would talk about televisions. And, probably in 2009, we would talk about big screen TVs as being uh, 42 inches and above. And a few years later, it was 50 inches and above. And a few years after that, it was 65 inches and
0: above. <laughs>
1: now it's 75 inches and above. Never go wrong believing that these guys can continue to build just tremendous products that are innovative that consumers really want because entertainment, right, is always one of the core activities now that we get out of our uh, electronics.
0: So outside of OLED and 4K, which blows me away still, what are we going to see at this year's CES, which of course you'll be front and center at?
1: I will be. Uh, I think that's actually going to be my first business trip in a plane since before uh, the pandemic. Um, I think what you'll see at CES is everyone trying to talk about what they've learned from the pandemic. What kind of things consumers really valued and what things they didn't, whether it's webcams, Zoom, microphones, integrated products, bigger screens, more screens, easier connectivity, um, faster connectivity. I think when you think about those kind of things, the real integration that we're seeing today, and I expect we'll see at CS, is going to be all about what did I learn from the pandemic and how can I build innovation that consumers want based totally. on this new world we're in.
0: Totally agree, Steve. And, and so you know, there was a spike for a lot of these guys with the work from home pandemic situation. So they all saw some growth in in terms of their business. So what you're saying is now um, it will see what stays. Like there's going to be some categories that may not grow because people are starting to move back to work or they fix things. There's no, it's not as much of a work from home um, growth segment as it is a um, it's a hybrid
1: segment, Keith. Yeah, and here's what's happening. Go is, ahead, put on your
0: analyst cap now. Like, let me hear the technical. Yeah, thing.
1: here's what's happening, Keith, okay. which is it's not that people are just going back to work, it's that it's likely that our work environment is going to be hybrid. We're going to spend more time at home, more time in the office, and because of that, everything that we use needs to be doubled for the most part right I need two I need a nice monitor in the office I yeah. need a nice monitor at home I need a good webcam in both places
0: I, I but, totally agree I see a lot of I see a lot of those products I, I think one product that that needs to be found at CES and it might be in one of those you know corners of CES and not as popular as the Samsung booth and the uh, GM booth and stuff but it's the area that helps you manage your relationship with your significant other better uh, from the additional uh, time at home. Do you have an idea what that product, uh, uh, what that product is, or who's making
1: it? At, at my house, that has been the iPad because <laughs> my wife can watch television any place and not have to watch things that I want to watch, and she can do that on the tel- on the iPad.
0: Okay, and that's not a paid endorsement by Apple or anything, right? That's you, No, you. it's not. Okay, so it's interesting in a way because in all candor, we do change the social and family dynamics a little bit. Um, so that's, again, creating more need to purchase. Everybody needs everything.
1: It's, it's true. I mean, you know, we, we've done surveys and et cetera. And, you know, it's scary how many people don't have a, a dedicated workspace at home yeah how many people um you know work at a kitchen table or dining room table and uh i i also think going forward finding ways to help people build dedicated workspaces at home is going to be an opportunity whether that's some kind of a portable monitor or how you use your notebook or something um because that's a real challenge for a lot of people, and I think that you know, yeah. talking about having to work around a significant other, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm lucky. I have don't have don't have kids anymore at home. I have lots of bedrooms. Everybody can go in and work. <laughs> um, but for a lot of people who don't, a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Zs that are just getting into the workforce, they don't have a place to work right a, at home and. You know, figuring out how that uh, they can get the best experience there and in the office and make it an equivalent experience for them is going to be something that uh, while their companies are certainly going to work on that, we yeah. need to build the, the hardware tools to help them do that.
0: Okay, so I want to touch on that in a second. But first, let me ask you, because I find this this other sort of crosswind of the work from home and the you know growth that's happening is also this talk of the the great resignation, you know of 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 people leaving their job because they're not being uh, you know fairly paid or too much frustration in a in a COVID work for environment things like that. Um, where is where is that signal to noise ratio and uh, how much is it affecting the purchasing behaviors out there?
1: Um. I I think that's a very corporate kind of an issue, right? How do I create a corporate IT environment? I mean, certainly this isn't the only way I stop people from leaving, but building a flexible corporate IT environment around what kind of devices the company will give me, how the security and other parts of that corporate IT environment are implemented. Um, I think making that flexible and understandable for your employees who, you know, don't don't want to be put under those kind of pressures when they're, you know, working hybrid at home and most of the things they have are uh, things that they're also using for personal uh, activities. So trying to find some way to um, blend the corporate security. Etc. kind of needs with the uh, needs of you as a individual, both employee and a person. Uh, that's, a, a, in my view, a really good way for companies to keep employees happy.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, turning back now to CES in 2022, <clears throat> or, or really holiday 2021, anything we should be looking for that's going to be surprising or is it all the Usual stuff that's going to sell the evolutionary products that have been doing well versus what I would call the revolutionary products, the first of its kind in a category that's really capturing um, the the consumers' attention and excitement.
1: Sure. Um, so I I, last
0: I, webinar, I apologize for the webinar re- out readout of uh, of holiday twenty one.
1: So here's. Um... Certainly CES has um, expanded its purview over the years, right? When you and I first started going, it was about TVs, analog TVs, and Comdex died and, you know. No, I, I,
0: I actually think we helped CES bring in the computer innovation and, and yeah. push them to do it more than they came up with the innovation. They kind of co-opted a lot of stuff we were doing. Well, that's I, cool. I, I,
1: think you're right um but now if you look at what ces is and again this goes back to what i said about the ubiquity of technology in people's lives in 2021 america um what's happening we're seeing you know obviously whether it's you know electric cars or um, all the autonomous vehicles that's clearly a huge piece digital health has certainly been something that's popped up and that's another big area and yeah. then the third area um that i see and you know we, we we track and talk about is smart home and not just you know cameras and stuff but you know refrigerators and dishwashers and washing machines and you know how all of that connects to you know your food and right. your eating and all those pieces as well. The,
0: the Internet of Things?
1: Yeah, I don't really like that term. But uh, <laughs> there, there's a lot of stuff that's connected. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Okay. Uh, so, and how we make all those connections valuable. You're the, it's kind, you're the guys
0: that make up all these terms. So you got to, you know. I
1: didn't make up that term. <laughs> I uh, Smart home is a good term for okay. me. Um, smart appliances, I like the. The, the people understand the word smart, um, but I think it, it's remarkable yeah. um, how far all these smart, I mean, these smart appliances have come. You go back five or six years, people laughed at Samsung for putting a, a screen in their refrigerators. And now that doesn't seem so... I remember that. I mean, it's been a while it's since not-
0: I've been to been a while since I've been to CES, you know, but I remember seeing some of that stuff. It was crazy. But the thing I liked about it, Steve, was the social impact potential of this stuff with it, excuse me, with the opportunity to uh, reduce energy usage or reduce, you know, carbon emissions or, um, you know, certain steps that we were taking um, and giving, you know, the folks like Tesla a a, a boost too. Um, I really liked that playing That we were driving as opposed to um, just doing more technology, right?
1: Well, again, you know, I think as technology and software and social media and everything has become so pervasive, um, while certainly you need a lot of uh, devices to make a lot of those things work, Mm -hmm. in a lot of categories, we're really not, uh, you know, fully integrated between all the things that the vision is for how to use all these devices and people actually using them it takes a long time oftentimes for people uh to get used to those things
0: that's you know Um, what that leads into my next question beautifully i want to do a metaverse question and a virtual reality question doesn't it feel a lot like the uh the year of the land, which went on for like ten plus years, or AI, which I've been involved in some projects in the AI space, and that's been ten years in ter- and more in terms of of it's becoming more commonplace now within organizations and you know embedded within technology. So where where are we on the time horizon in terms of the adoption of you know AR VR types of uh, uh, technologies?
1: So um, I think if you look at all of those. Um, buzzwords that you just dropped out there—a uh, good, you know, a good lesson for your uh, your your media background, right? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of buzzwords there yeah. that we really don't have good understanding of what they all mean or what they provide. And the nice part of being a kind of a consumer kind of analyst is I look at those kind of things and I say, well, what value? does that bring to more than just the niche customer, right? Or how do I recognize it as a marketer and a retail guy? How do I get paid for it? Right. Right? Who gets paid for AI, right? People talk about AI all the time. I don't know how anybody ever gets paid for having AI or machine learning. Yeah. Oh, it makes it better. Meanwhile, my phone still can't figure out that I type J's instead of I's all the time and it won't change that, that word when I put Hopefully. it in there. That would seem to be an easy <laughs> AI thing. But I look at and I think AR VR is a, a perfect example um, of something that's been bubbling for a long time. It continues to be kind of interesting, but you know, it's that refrigerator from 10 years ago. It's a solution that's looking for a problem to solve for Mm -hmm. the majority of uh, consumers. Until we can figure out that on the consumer end, um, then it's going to just remain kind of a bunch of buzzwords.
0: Okay, so we won't be walking around with headsets on um, for, for a while.
1: Well... Probably not, but if you'd asked me 15 years ago if we'd all had uh, a phone in our pocket, uh, I don't know what I would have said. <laughs> I, I, I will never forget someone at a um, exchange or something telling me, they had, a, I think, a handspring. There you go. Trio, and I know you had Ed Colligan on at one point. And he, taught, he said to me, he showed me that he said, you haven't lived until you've had to reboot your telephone. <laughs> and, you know, that was meant to be a, uh, what kind of world are we headed towards? And, yeah. You know, now we don't think anything necessarily about that, but, um, you know, the world moves on. And um, certainly at some point, I do think, you know, VR or AR is likely to find the right niche. But, you know, even if you listen to some of the stuff Facebook talks about, you know, we're years away from building out any kind of um, mass levels of interest.
0: Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to hold off that asking you about your NFT portfolio. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea.
0: But 25 years, I just want to circle back on that silver anniversary of of being being in that chair. Um, any other fun memories or stories you want to share um, from that? It's just I know there's just almost too many to, to chronicle, but
1: So I'm gonna gonna go back even further and make it 35 years, right? Okay.
0: So, um, play little league then? Or what are we talking?
1: Uh, yeah, I wish. So um, <laughs> as a lot of people who know me know, I was a uh, original employee at Staples. The, one of the original startups, so everybody talks to me about startups. I was yeah. like, "We got stock in Staples in 1986 when we worked there."
0: Tom so, uh, Tom Stenberg was at Framingham, Mass.
1: Tom Stenberg, we first store was in Brighton, Mass. And after that, Brighton, was okay. beautiful. Yep, Tom, uh, you know, rest in peace, who passed away a couple of years ago, um, was a brilliant guy. Yep. But um, all the fun of a startup are the things that that I really, really remember as I get older, right? We sent one of the buyers down to Florida where Office Depot had opened copying our uh, format Mm -hmm. a few months after we opened. And he went to their first store and went out back and dumpster died, pulled out their receipts and uh, their their employee uh, time sheets and all this other stuff and brought it back so we could see how they were doing in terms of um, you know how many employees they had in the store right. and who, you know how they were scheduling people and, and all those kind of things and um, you know they, it was a hot category right office office products there was at one point
0: you didn't enter, mention the word you didn't mention the word superstore.
1: Superstore, office product superstores, yes. There was probably 10 or 15 uh, superstores at one point. So I'm going to tell one story and I'll beg your indulgence on it a little bit. It's not too long, but um, so I believe it was 1988 or 89. um, Another office superstore named, I believe it was Office Stop. Uh, opened up in Paramus, New Jersey, like right across the street from our store in Paramus, New Jersey. And, you know, in those days, we had price wars, right? Circulars and everybody would drive down the price of copy papers and manila folders. And um, they ran an ad with copy paper at some ridiculous price. And in the corner of their ad, it said, staple this to your wall office stop will not be beat and they were selling this copy paper you know ten dollars (laughs) below the the price of a case because we obviously were much bigger and we knew how much the cost was so we hired people sent them into their store bought all the copy paper to make sure that they could lose $10 $10 a case on every single case. I love it. brought it to our store, ordered <laughs> it on a truck, shipped it up to Boston where we didn't have any competition and sold it and made $10 uh, uh, a case on the copy paper.
0: Well... I think the takeaways from that story are voluminous. One is the art of dumpster diving is, is just a yeah. lost art. And it is. You know, it is. it's probably gone because we don't uh, shit throw that stuff away anymore in the paper. But I don't know. Maybe there's a, maybe it's a shift to cyber stuff.
1: <laughs> Some of what people do now in cyber is the equivalent of dumpster diving. It is
0: I the think. equivalent. But what a phenomenal story. And definitely... Kudos to you and the team there that just did some amazing innovation. I remember some great interviews with Stemberg. He was really one of the thought leaders in a category that changed the world, if not the game. And just a great, uh, great person to to, to have a sit down with Um, so many. Any other uh, fun stories? Maybe that's the retail side on the manufacturer side. I mean, you mentioned Ed Culligan, who was one of my favorites. And what Palm did, I think, changed the game. And the trajectory of, of you know the, the the mobile phone the cell phone, but
1: from a from a manufacturer standpoint, I, I you know the, I think the thing we all miss is the I, I don't want to call them boondoggles, but you know yeah. um, events at yeah. nice places yeah. where they would take all the analysts and media and explain all the things that were going on at the Ritz or someplace nice. Um, Those were always really good. You got a real good chance to sit down with people, have a few beers, and um, really discuss what everybody's um, viewpoint was. I think nowadays um, there's a lot more, um, you know, I don't want to say it's contentious because it's not, but everybody's a lot more media trained. Yeah, I've,
0: I've thought about you know. that same point, Steve. I think it is. Um, I think it was more personality-driven business oh. back in our day. Of you know, when I say the beginnings of where we worked together, um, you know, Computer Retail Week and that whole retail vision timeframe, where like there could be a force of nature at a company, and that could change the trajectory of that business because of their will and their personality. Not so sure it's, it's possible today. Well, it's probably possible, but not as prevalent.
1: I, I'm not even sure it's possible anymore. I, I think that um, as you know, we started out talking about how retailers get big and how they continue to consolidate. And you know one of the parts of that I think it's not just the retailers, it's the uh, manufacturers as well as you gain share, right risk tends to your, your tolerance for risk tends to go down right uh we, we can't make a mistake i don't want to have a big big loss i'd rather keep things more status quo than take a big chance on something yeah and i think you know we and the way we grew up i think that that was a fun part of the world and you know in the hardware world it's a lot harder Uh, to find companies, either startups or big companies that are willing to really put an effort into that.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, Stephen Baker, top guru at NPD, 25 years of cheering on the Red Sox, no, of uh, running the whole tech business. What a great time uh chatting with you. I wish we had more time, although I know our audience is fully fallen asleep right now. I could go on for another 5 hours with you, but I got to let you earn a few shekels. Um shekels over there. Have a great Thanksgiving with the family, uh holidays, a fun Q4, a great CES, uh and um, let's make sure we get together in the in the new year at least when you're back out uh making your uh, pilgrimages to the West Coast in the Bay Area.
1: I can't wait to be able to do a little bit of that. So thanks, Keith. Really appreciate your uh, bringing me on. Thanks a lot.
0: No, great chat with you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.